we are in the middle of a series called uh, Unshakable. Everybody say Unshakable. And we, we've been talking about the kingdom of God, and we had a week where we kind of defined what that is. It's God's way of living, thinking, under the rule and reign. Uh, Pastor Aaron shared in the first week about how the kingdom helps us deal with anxiety. So if you deal with that and you didn't get to hear that, go back and check that out. Uh, the second week, he talked about how we position ourselves, posture ourselves to live a life with God. Everybody say, with God. And then last week he talked about just how we respond to the culture and the world around us, uh, living uh, with righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit and how we do that. And again, like I said, we'll take a pause for our series next week for Football Sunday. But our theme verse for this whole entire series comes from the book of Hebrews and the scriptures, the New Testament, Hebrews 12, 28. It says this, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You see where we get the, the unshakable from. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Now today I wanna talk about something that has the potential to block us from the kingdom, to shut down those kingdom principles in our life. I know at times in my life that this has been challenged for me. And in Matthew 18, Jesus shares a parable. And if you don't know what parables are, they're simple stories that illustrate a spiritual truth. Jesus tells this story in Matthew 18, verses 23 through 35. Now, we're not gonna go through every verse, but you can go back and, 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 and uh, read those, uh, listen to those. But we're gonna pick up in verse 23 of Matthew 18. Here's what Jesus says. It's very relevant to us because here, look, look how he starts. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven. So we've been talking about the unshakable kingdom. Jesus is saying, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. In other words, what he's saying here is, if you want to understand the kingdom, I'm going to tell you a story that helps illustrate that. This is how the kingdom works. He says it's like a king. Now, let's stop right there. To us, we don't live in a, a, a world with kingdoms and kings, but let's rewind to the mind of the first century Jewish people. Did they have their own king at this time? The answer is no. In fact, they were under Roman occupation. Herod. See, like, they, they would not have looked at, uh, immediately when they heard king in this story, I don't know if you're like, you know, you, you ever have kids and they're watching a movie and they're like, who is the bad guy of this movie? They're trying to figure out who they are or you're trying to watch a movie and you're trying to figure out who the bad guy is. Uh, immediately when they heard King, they would have thought, oh, this is the bad guy. Cause let's go back. First they had, you know, they're, they're living in Roman occupation. Before that, it was Greek occupation. Before that, it was the Medes and the Persian occupation, that those kings. And then before that was the Babylonian king. And then when they had their own king centuries ago, 99% of them weren't good either. So they would have been like, okay, Jesus, this is the bad guy of the story, right? He said, it's like a king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. But here's how Jesus works. All of Jesus's parables are very subversive. By that, I mean what you thought his point was going to be if you were a first century Jew, like 
Jesus did what we call today a Jesus juke. Now we call a Jesus juke when someone like brings the Bible or God into a situation that has nothing to do with, like when someone's like, what's your favorite book? Well, there's only one answer, it's the Bible. Like we call that a Jesus juke. That's not what Jesus juke meant there. Jesus juke meant this. You thought this is gonna be the answer and he's like, nope. This is a different answer. So he tells this story about a man who owes 10,000 bags of gold. Millions of dollars. He owed, The king is looking at his accounts and he sees that there's this man who owes him what would have been the equivalent of 200,000 years of a salary of a day laborer. How many of you know that's gonna take you a little bit to work off? And the king wants repaid. And so he brings this guy in and this guy is like, hey, he begs for mercy, gets on his knees, begs, please. Because what the common practice of that day was is if you couldn't pay the debt, they'd sell you into slavery. Then they'd sell your wife. Then they'd sell your kids. How many of you know if you're gonna go home? Like it's one thing to get fired from your job and to go home and tell your wife like, hey, I got fired today. I got demoted. But it's another thing if he had to go home and be like, hey babe, uh, I got some bad news. Uh, we're gonna have to sell you and the kids and me. So he begs, he begs and the king is not the bad guy in this story because he has mercy on this guy. He has pity on him and he says, you know what? We're gonna cancel all your debts. That's a big deal. Millions and millions of dollars. But the story doesn't end there. If it ended there, that would be a good story. Like, oh, I'm so happy. It says this guy goes out after having all of his millions and millions of dollars canceled, 200,000 years of day laborers' wages. He goes out and he finds somebody who owes him money. And it's not even the equal amount of money that he owed the king. It says that he owed him a few thousand dollars, maybe like 100 days of wages in that day. And he's like, you better repay me. He's like, it's my money and I want it now. And he grabs this dude and starts choking him. It's like, give me my money. I'm gonna have you arrested. I'm gonna have you sold into slavery so you can repay me. And other people in the kingdom see this and they go to the king and they say, hey, you remember that guy that you like forgave 200,000 years worth of debt? He's out there choking folk over a hundred days worth of money. Can you believe that? And the king was like, that it, uh, that's it. Let's get this guy. He hears about it. And we pick up in verse 32. The king called in the man who he had forgiven. Everybody say forgiven. He said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid back his entire debt. Then Jesus says something in verse 35 that's shocking to me. It's super shocking. 
Look what he says. He ties it back to the kingdom. He says, that's what your heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. With that as our backdrop today, let's pray. Father God, I'm challenged by your word today. Speak to your people today through this preaching. Let it not just be my words, but let it be the words of the Spirit of God. May they be words of life. May they not just be words on a page, but they would come alive in our lives. May our hearts be changed. May our minds be changed. May our souls be changed today as we hear your word, Spirit, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we're talking about the kingdom of God, what Jesus is saying here is, you know, as, we, as we've learned, like, that Jesus is still on his throne, I don't have to be anxious, that his kingdom is advancing, even when I don't see it, he's working, that, that he's in control, I can have confidence, that he gives us righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is saying here. And we, and we illustrate on this graphic is that unforgiveness blocks us from the kingdom. That the warning that I'm giving you today from God's word is that unforgiveness blocks us from the kingdom. Now, we've ex- this is the, by the words of Jesus himself. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. That's shocking. That's tough for me. If you won't forgive, you can't experience the kingdom. He starts with the kingdom. He ends with the kingdom. And he says, you have to forgive. And I know this is a tough thing. Forgiveness is a tough thing. It's emotionally charged. It's painful. And I know in my own life, I've experienced the pain of, you know, and it's not about comparing our trauma, not about comparing the wrong that's been done to us. But, but I know, it, personally, forgiveness can be hard. When I was a, you know, my, my mother was pregnant with me when she was still in high school. And my biological father was a bit of a, you know, he was a rebel to the rebel, you know. He, you know, had tattoos with Explicitives about the police. He ran from the police. He, he was, they, they were in the drug scene and alcohol and just, they were crazy. And they tried to make it work, got married. It didn't work out. And throughout my childhood, my father was not in my life. So when I got all A's on the report card, there was no dad being like, I'm, I'm proud of you, son. There were, you know, I, I can count maybe two times that I got a present from him my whole life. And, I, and that was tough, you know, but my mom remarried and, you know, my stepdad became my dad really to me. But it didn't make that pain go away. And then I become, you know, fast forward, you know, graduate high school, go to Bible college, become a pastor, move back to Missouri after traveling around, which is originally where we're from, and I'm out of church there, and my pastor makes me go to counseling for a week because he's like, you know, you have a lot of dad wounds, I can tell. And like, and I'm like, I don't want to do that. And then like, I get back from that, 
and about six weeks later, my, one of my brothers, who's a, a biological full brother, he said, hey, Kevin is in the, that was my dad, biological dad, he, he, and I haven't seen him for 28 years at this point now, or heard from him. It's been longer that I haven't seen him, but I haven't heard from him. I mean, the last present I got from him was, I was 11, so I'm, I'm 39 at this point. I know y'all are like, how could be 39 at that point? He doesn't look 39 now. I get it, I get it. Yeah, thank you, thank you. But that was eight years ago. <laughs> Do the math. Uh, my brother calls me and he says, I don't know if you care, but Kevin is in the hospital and he's going to die. And I'm like, what are you supposed to say to that? So it's like 20 minutes away from where I live, and I get in. My brother's driving from like four hours away. We meet at the hospital. We meet in the, the lobby. And like I had just processed through with this counselor and cried and yelled and screamed in the mountains of North Carolina. And, you know, I'm like processing through this of like how can I live in forgiveness for this guy? Like no phone calls, no letters. When email became a thing, no emails. Didn't drop me a follow on Facebook. Didn't retweet me. And I said some pretty good things. Uh, so I meet my brother in the lobby, and I like, I, again, I'm 39. And if y'all know me, like, I'm a very confident person, even when I shouldn't be, but I'm like a mess. In the lobby, and my, we get on the elevator and go up to where they have the cancer patients that are, you know. And we get into his room, and he's not there, and like somebody else is there, which is like his new wife's son, and I'm like, who, who is this? And so then Kevin comes back into the room, and he's met my brother Chris before, because Chris had been in touch with him recently, and he looks at me, and he goes, this is, I promise you this is what happens, and he goes, are you Jason? You know, like 28 years of pain comes like rushing back when you like get like the first thing is like, are you Jason? Like all the no birthday cards I got, all the one Christmas present I got, all the good job sons that I didn't get all come rushing back. And I'm like, you better bleep and believe I'm Jason. No. <laughs> So I get that forgiveness is hard. Why is it so difficult for us to forgive? Why is forgiveness so difficult? Number one, just know that like, forgiveness is counterculture. This whole thing we've been talking about with kingdom is about the idea that God's kingdom is counter to our culture to our world that we live in. And forgiveness more than anything else, that, that it goes against our sinful nature to forgive. We wanna make people pay. In fact, today, you get extra credit in the world for being offended. You get extra credit. Everybody's offended about everything today. We're outraged. And when we hold on, the second thing, the second reason this is so hard is it's like, it gives us a sense of control. 
as a little man being formed as a little person. I couldn't control if my dad wrote me a letter and said, I'm proud of you. Good job, you ran so fast. You did so well. I couldn't control that. But what I could control is that I'm gonna make him pay. What I could control. And, and, and the, the weird thing about this illusion of control is it actually makes us be out of control. We think we're controlling our situation by holding on to this unforgiveness, but what then takes over into the driver's seat of our life is that unforgiveness. It gives us an illusion of control, but it actually is the very thing that we do that winds up controlling us. And you know what? The third reason is like, we just want things to be fair. We want, we have this desire for things to be fair. We have a misplaced sense of justice as people. And what I always tell my kids when they say, that's no fair, no fair, no fair. Or adults like y'all, when, when, when you'll say, that's no fair, it's no fair. I say this, fairness died in the garden. It all, it, it's been gone for a long time. Fairness is gone. But like as Americans, we really want things to be fair. We want things to be fair. You know, you, you get ice cream for one kid, what do the other kids say? No fair. You spend more on them than you spent on me. What did they say? Come on, y'all can do better than that. You invited them to that party, but you didn't invite me. You hung out with them, but you didn't hang out with me. They're in your small group and I'm not. I ain't even making this up. <laughs> Some of y'all are laughing because y'all know y'all said that. <laughs> you blessed them, but you didn't bless me? That's a whole theme of the scripture, by the way. And you know what? The last reason that it's so hard for us to forgive is we misunderstand what it even is to forgive. Because forgiveness is not... Forgetting. You've heard the term like forgive and forget. Wow, that's easy on if someone cuts you off in traffic. I'm not going to remember their, their plate number, but sometimes I will. Uh, <laughs> it's not an approval of wrongdoing. It's not saying what the wrong they did to me. That's okay, I'm going to approve it. That's not what forgiveness is. It's not inviting someone to abuse you. And again, I'm not belittling your pain, your trauma. It's not something that the other person has to do. They have to earn it or they deserve it. That's not what forgiveness is. And it's not dependent upon reconciliation. A lot of people misunderstand the idea of forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation means things go back to the way they were. That's not the same thing as forgiveness. Just because I forgive something, like I can never go back and make six-year-old Jason have a dad again. I can't reconcile that but I can forgive. So what is forgiveness? I love this definition. It's up there, hopefully you can see it and you can take a picture of this. It's forgiveness, and we're gonna say it again here at the end. I'm, I just, this is so good. This is so good to remind ourselves what forgiveness is. It's the conscious choice, come on, to give up your right 
to make the other person pay because you trust God to make things right. Let me say that again. It's the conscious choice to give up your right to make the other person pay because you trust God to make things right. So why should we forgive? Why should we forgive? We wanna be a part of the kingdom. We wanna have the kingdom benefits. So what does forgiving actually bring to us? What does it actually do for us to forgive? Because it does a lot for, it does more for us than it does for the other person, by the way. Number one, it brings us spiritual health. Spiritual health is the first thing that it brings us. In the Lord's Prayer, which is, if you don't know this, the book of Matthew has something called the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard of the Sermon on the Mount, but it's, it's really a group of Jesus' teachings, and in the middle of it is something that we call the Lord's Prayer, and you know it, you've heard it before. It's in Matthew 6, this Lord's Prayer. I love, oh, I'm gonna read verses 12 and then 14 and 15. These are the words of Jesus. Look what he says here. As he's teaching his disciples to pray, look what he puts in the middle of this. And forgive us our sins. Oh, everybody likes that part. As we have forgiven those who sin against us. So Jesus ties again, which he did in Matthew 18, forgive because you're forgiven. Verse 14, we, he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Isn't that works-based, Pastor? I thought we believe in grace. Grace does not give me the license to do whatever I want to do. And what Jesus is actually teaching here is masterful that we, we miss. Jesus says, you choose the standard that you want to live your life upon. If you choose the standard of unforgiveness, I'll give you that. That's powerful. If you want to choose unforgiveness, that's what I'll give you. People will, you know, this is a a very Western thing today that right now we want to erase hell and eternal torment. Right, because we were like, how could a loving father send someone to eternal torment? Well, actually, you're missing the point. How could a loving father make someone spend eternity worshiping him that doesn't believe in him and doesn't love him? Because that's what heaven is. It's eternally worshiping him. So he's giving us over to the, he's saying, what standard do you, do you want unforgiveness? You can have it. You can choose that standard. He lets us choose how we want to live our life because that's how much he loves us. And if that was the only benefit of forgiving, that would be enough. But here's what I noticed in in, in over the years of studying forgiveness is this is a unique phenomenon and that outside the church world, outside of Christendom, outside of Judeo-Christian beliefs, secularists love to study forgiveness. Because if you're ever watching a news story and it's about someone who forgave someone who did wrong to them, like they got robbed by someone and then they bless that, you know, like there's just something that happens. You know, in the musical Les Les Miserables, like he steals from the priest and the priest says, hey, you forgot the best stuff. I mean, I start crying every time. 
Because there's like something innate about us like that's the reflection of God. They love to study this and study after study in, in, in clinical studies and scientific studies and peer-reviewed studies shows the benefits of forgiveness. Maybe you don't even believe the spiritual side, but there's a powerfulness in that. Number two, after spiritual health comes the idea of mental and emotional health, that people who forgive report having a higher satisfaction with life, that it makes us a kinder and more generous people to forgive, that as I talked about the idea of control, that we feel like we, we regain a sense of control when we forgive. When we give it up, we actually feel more powerful than when we held on to it. And that we experience fewer negative emotions when we live a life of forgiveness. So one of the studies I, I, I was reading about is they hooked someone up to brain scans. And they wanted to study, and this again, this guy actually said, I don't believe in anything that the Bible says. The guy I was reading this, the, who, who, who commissioned this study, I don't believe in any of that, but I think there's some power in forgiveness. So he said, I want to test it. So what they did is they hooked people up to the brainwave machine so they could see the brainwaves, and they said, here's what we want you to do. We want you to think back to your life, and we want to think about someone who wronged you. Little Billy hits you in the back of the head with the baseball on the playground. And what we want you to do is we want you to say, I forgive Billy for hitting me in the head with the baseball. Say it. And when they did that, they tracked the brain waves and the parts of your brain that have problem solving and creative thinking lit up and were more freely flowing. That the parts of your brain that allow you to relax were starting to, the neurons were starting to fire and they were starting to see things. Like literally forgiving was making your mind work better. See, we're out here trying to take supplements and the newest thing and the oldest thing. And, and, and what they found is just like, actually, if you practice forgiving, you'll have some more brain power available to you. You'll, you'll, you'll be able to relax more. But that's not all. In these studies further that are done, that number three, physical health was actually connected to forgiving. Physical health connected to forgiving because it allows us to get better sleep when someone isn't on your mind all the time and you're thinking about how angry that you are at that person. It, and because you got better sleep, you got less fatigue. And because of that, you have less pain. And they did another study. And here's what they did. They said, we believe that, that, that there's something about forgiveness that, that allows a person to unburden themselves. So unforgiveness is what they said. It literally burdens you down. And so what they did is they said, we're going to do that same thing as we did with the brain scans, but we're going to do something very practical. All we want you to do is, first of all, we want you to jump. And we're going to measure how high you can jump. So they measured how high all the, the test subjects could jump. And then they're saying, what we want you to do is we want you to start thinking of people who wronged you, thinking of people who sinned against you. And, and again, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to speak out the words, I forgive them for cutting me off in traffic. I forgive Billy for hitting me. I forgive my mom for not loving me like I need to and teasing me my whole life. 
And then they measured again. And every person in the study had a markable higher jump than before. So literally, rolling off the weight of unforgiveness made them jump higher, run faster, perform better. When I heard that, I'm like, man, before every marathon, I'm going to find some people. <laughs> forgive. I'm going to forgive some people so I can run faster. And number four is, is not only does it spiritual health, emotional and mental health and physical health, it, it, it increases our relational health with others, relating to others around us. Because there becomes less conflict in relationships when we forgive. It, it helps us, it can help us to do this, to bring closure. And to move on when we need to move on. And you know, I think as a parent, it's so key. Can I just speak to the parents? This is just a little bonus parenting thing. You know, people will ask me a lot, hey, pastor, how do I parent my kids. I want them to do this. I want them to come to church. I want them to love God. And I always say that the number one parenting hack, you want to know what it is? Be whatever you want them to be. Model what you want them to do. And you could do that in any endeavor where you're leading someone else. You want to be a good boss? Do what you want them to do. Don't say one thing and do another. Everybody hates that. As a pastor, my goal is to model what I want repeated. And when I fail at that, because I will, because I'm human, you know what? Then I want my kids to see repentance, forgiveness. I want to model that. I want to be an example of what that looks like. Because I know that kids follow the example that they see in their parents. The other day I was getting a haircut and I'm rolling out of my my, my uh Barber's neighborhood, my son and I are just rolling up out of there, and, and I had to go make a dinner uh, appointment with Pastor Aaron, and we were meeting a guy from out of town, and, and I was just like, I barely had enough time, but I'm driving slow through a neighborhood because I'd hate it when people drive fast in the neighborhood, and I don't want my son to see me like, you know, but there's a little girl on a trike, like four or five years old, and I'm just watching to make sure she don't roll out because you know how kids be. And I just slow down and I wave and smile and I'm nice, like, hi, little girl. And she just flips me the bird. <laughs> like a little girl. And I'm like, if I had time right now, I would get out and talk to your mama. But I don't have time for that. And then I thought about it and I'm like, that's the model she observed in someone else. And when I go back to that story, because I left y'all hanging, and I know you've been waiting for me to finish that story, and I go back to that hospital room. And he says, are you Jason? And all that pain comes rushing back. And I'm thinking like, yeah, I'm Jason, and I don't need you. Let me show you how good of a life I had without you. Let me make you regret and pay for what you did to me and what you didn't do to me and how you were not there for me. Let, me. let me show you how beautiful my wife is and my kids are. And you had nothing to do with this. I did this in spite of you. That's all what I wanted to say. And I wanted to tell them off because I can tell people off like nobody else. And 
I'm so, and, I, and anger is my primary feeling, if y'all don't know that. And probably from that reason. And I'm so angry at this moment because I just want to tell him off like you weren't there. And then I just hear the whisper of God be like, hey, Jason, remember me. I'm like, I don't have time for this, God. <laughs> About to tell this guy off. And he's like, but he's my son, just like you're my son. So I just calmed down, just had the moment of like, hey, oh, yeah. And then he starts making excuses, and that just made it worse. Oh, it's because of this and because of that. And I'm like, hey, 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 I don't need this. If you feel like I have to have this to love you, I don't need that. I still love you. And about six weeks later, I close out that hospital visit, and my brother calls me again and says, they sent him home. He's in hospice care, and he has like a day or two to live. And I'm still wrestling with all this because it's like one thing to be like, I have to obey God in a moment, and I felt like a whisper, and I have to forgive as I go to see him and he's on enough pain medication where they basically, he's in so much pain, he's going to die any hour. And I go visit him at somebody's house, I don't even know who the person is, meet his wife. Go to sit with him in his room and I'm just sitting there and he's on this like makeshift bed. He's dirty, smells and he's unconscious the whole time. And I'm like, God, this isn't fair. I just, and I'm like almost 40. And I'm like, life is good. I didn't need, right? I didn't, it all turned out okay. But I, it's something to me, I'm like, God, I just want my dad to love me. I want, I want, I want him to look at me and say, I'm proud of you, you did it. And again, I heard the whisper of God. Because I'm like, this guy isn't going to do that now. It's too late. It's too late. And I hear the whisper of God say, Jason, but I love you. And I'm proud of you. And then I, it came time for me to go. Because that week was a rough week. My mother-in-law had passed away the same week. And I'm like, and I just touched my dad and I prayed over him and I said, hey, dad. And that's the first time I called him dad. I called him Kevin before. I said, hey, I, I have to go. But I want you to know that I love you and I forgive you. And in a moment after sitting there for hours with him all day, he wakes up as soon as I say that. His eyes open up. And he looks at me and he says, Jason, I love you and I'm proud of you. And I'm not saying that every day I don't have to get up and say, I still forgive my dad. I'm not saying that I don't have to still practice this forgiveness as a, as a practice in my life. I'm not saying like, oh, that's real easy for you to say. Maybe you'll never get that moment. But I wanna remind you what forgiveness is. It's the conscious choice. In that moment, I had the choice to give up my right 
to make Kevin pay because I trusted God to make things right. In that moment, I'm like, God, only you can make it right. And just one word didn't, I mean, it's not like, oh yeah, all the years of pain have gone away because he said he loved me and he's proud of me. But it didn't hurt. Colossians 3, 13, I'm gonna leave you with one more scripture. As we close out, it says this, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. 